has the wool market fully recovered from the COVID pandemic? What have we learnt from the roller coaster that was 2020? Has wool marketing changed? Where are the new market opportunities, the new consumers of wool, and the new processes of wool? There are so many questions, and in this episode of The Yarn, we have a go at answering them. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So a new business unit has been set up at Australian Wool Innovation in the last 12 months to take a deep dive into the risks and the opportunities for the recovery of wool. One of the rising stars of the company, Miles Barrett, from a wool growing property in WA, is key to this crucial part of the company. He says over the last 12 months, wool's typical consumer has changed and with it, so is the marketing of our fibre. In such a time of uncertainty and working from home and lockdowns, the consumer really wanted comfort in the home. So I suppose, you know, it was about changing where we market wool as a product for the consumer. And that that sort of opened up a few opportunities in which we in which we identified that being, uh, you know, your casual wear, athleisure wear, uh, in particular commuter wear, and, and as well as PPE. So I suppose there's been a more focus on the casual wear side of things from, from our perspective and where we market that to the consumer. The formal wear uh, was sort of fading away well before the, the pandemic hit and the pandemic as well and truly uh, accelerated this trend where, where suiting and, and other what I suppose are more traditional wool products have seen slips of well, in the midst of the pandemic to 80%. However, for the year of 2020, Suiting's been down sort of 40 to 50%, whereas our we've seen our casual and knitwear kind of products still down, but but only moderately, I suppose, 15 to 20%, which in comparison is where I suppose we got to look at that relative to suiting, and that's that's our our go or our, or our opportunity. So the the pandemic appears to have heightened that trend, that global trend towards casualisation and away from formal wear, which is very much has been Wool's traditional market, but also in terms of uh, retail, uh, obviously people not being able to actually go to stores and shop, it must have also heightened the sales of Wool online. Yeah, most definitely. As you as you mentioned, the shift to online and a lot of these trends were evident before the pandemic. However, what COVID's done is sort of grabbed them and, and really accelerated them um, and like you like you mentioned, retail well, online retail has has been enormous throughout the pandemic. I suppose you look at some companies that have that are entirely based on online retail. Um, these companies, including Amazon, which is um, obviously a massive global online retailer, and Alibaba, um, likewise. Well, for 2020, they were up 38 percent and 37 percent, respectively, in revenue. So. And I suppose that's a, that's a massive increase for companies of of those size. So that shows you just how just how good the online retail side of things were last year. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting to hear you talk about that. And Miles, in terms of your work in the risk and recovery team, I presume you're gleaning information uh, not only from our 13 offices around the world, but obviously you mentioned their Woolmark licensees. So companies that have a Woolmark license and are ordering swing tags with the Woolmark on it, or how else do you gain your market intelligence? Well, like you said, our 
our global offices in well, our 13 offices overseas provide us with great intel and give us great information as to what the brands over there are saying and you know sentiment uh in the in the consumer space we also get some great information from our our market so sorry from our walmart licensees and what they're doing you know if they're they're ordering tickets and labels if they're not which kinds of licensees are ordering which aren't um however more so we we do have a few data subscriptions um that allow us to keep a, a really good watching eye as to what's happening from a glo global economics point of view, uh, whether it be trade, you know, import export data. We we do have a few data subscriptions that allow us to, I suppose, keep an eye on what's happening and and best monitor the the global situation as it's quickly changing and needs close monitoring. Right. So. Uh, let's talk about China, which is obviously the elephant in the room, but it's an elephant that thankfully does exist. Um, Stuart McCulloch has often said that uh, to sell a lot of wool, you need a large population in a cold climate uh, with plenty of affluence, and China has all three of those and uh, has appeared to recover from the pandemic better than any other country. So um, talk to us a little bit about the importance of China. Yeah, as you said, China's not only well, a key manufacturer of our product is continuing to grow as one of the major consumers of our product. Um, and in saying, China recovered better than any other uh, big economy throughout the world and any key wool consuming economy. Uh, they were the only economy that saw any kind of growth in 2020, where other big Western world markets all saw contractions. European markets saw very, very large contractions in their GDP growth. Um, some to the extent of, you know, negative 8%, whereas the Americans or the US held relatively firm given the situation worldwide, they were still saw a contraction. However, China's where the opportunity arises and China with their, with their rising affluence and rising middle class, there are, they are a market prime to, to consume our product. Um, and therefore, there's been, I suppose, an array of campaigns ran into China to try and capitalise on the on this area of opportunity. Um, for example, a, a campaign was run in partnership with an online retail company called Tmall, and this company included a Wool Week shopping festival um, featuring a hundred brand partners. The campaign had an enormous reach where we saw over 500 million impressions, which just highlights that, I suppose, yes, you've got to have affluence and temperature's got to be according, but it, but it really helps when you do have that massive population when you're trying to sell a product. And these campaigns are yielding really positive results for, for wool and, and for that matter, merino wool in particular, where Chinese consumers are sort of saying that they're, that they're much more likely to buy merino wool because of some of these campaigns that we're running, which is, I suppose a two-prong approach where we're really trying to educate the Chinese consumer on merino wool and the benefits and, and all the natural uh, benefits of the product. And we're trying to do that and meet them at a point of sale through these online retailers where we can, I suppose, set up landing pages for, for wool brands to sell their product, which is, which is proving to be a really uh, good exercise. And, you know, we aren't completely disregarding the other sort of key wool consumption markets in Europe and North America, and we're running similar campaigns there that are also promising fairly positive, uh, sorry, are also yielding fairly positive results for, for us. So 
In the recent years, Miles, have been saying that China takes up to 80% of uh, the Australian wool clip raw and consumes around half of that at retail. But are those figures a bit higher now? Is it more like 90% and still half of that being consumed in China? Give us a sense of how our importance in China has actually increased. Yeah, so uh, obviously, as you said, uh, for, for, for the most sort of for the recent years and recent times, China's consumed anywhere between, I suppose, 70 and 80 percent of our of our raw wool. And and I suppose this has been a result of trying to build that very strong relationship with them over, a, I suppose, a 50 year, 50 plus year period as a result of the pandemic and lockdowns and production capabilities being limited and China recovering best and being able to open up manufacturing and, and also retail. They, they are taking quite a high amount of, of our wool this season in the 2020-21 season. As of October, it was extremely high. It was a touch over, well, it was over 90%. However, it's come, come back off a little bit as other company, uh, sorry, other countries are starting to open up little bit by little bit. And, and as of the end of March, I, sorry, as of the end of January, it sits at about 80, 87% they're taking um, and so I suppose that that just shows you how quick China are recovering and, and hopefully the other global markets are finding ways to open up their uh, capabilities and commerce quick, uh, quickly looking forward so that so that they can start importing more and more of our product as well. So, Miles, obviously our reliance on China as an early stage processor is really significant, but also China relies on Australian wool for their wool textile industry. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose there are, I suppose, two key differences between wool and a lot of the other commodities that that we sort of see holding wool in pretty good stead moving forward. Um, I suppose the first of these key points is the fact that wool and more so fine wool used for apparel isn't easily sourced elsewhere. Um, China imports 79% of their shorn wool imports from Australia and the next biggest market for them, South Africa, where they import 8%. So Australia's almost 10, 10 times the size of the next biggest importing market for, for China. Um, there are no other really markets that can compete with, with our volumes, I suppose, as a result of this. And China, on the contrary, when looking at other commodities, China have enforced trade restrictions on commodities such as barley and cotton, um, which are both easily sourced from other markets around the world. So I suppose that's one key factor that wool has going for it, so to speak. Um, Another key point, too, is that wool adds a lot of value once it arrives on Chinese shores. Um, In some cases, I suppose the wool supply chain, well, well, it can be up to 16 steps long in some instances. And these steps add a lot of jobs and and value to the Chinese economy. So, Miles, what are some of those countries and markets that are now slowly but surely opening up? So, what are, I suppose is that some of the key European markets for us being uh, the Czech Republic and, and Italy. Italy are starting to find their feet bit by bit. Obviously, the, the product that Italy manufactures generally quite luxurious in suiting and, and other formal wear. Um, so we also need, I suppose, events and, and workspaces to start opening up as well in our key markets overseas. But we are seeing this slowly occur. So I suppose 
I suppose the opportunities in terms of exporting greasy wool were still in some of the markets that are still opening up. So Italy's not at 100% full capacity just yet. However, when they get there, well, hopefully they'll take a bit more and I don't see why they why they wouldn't. Um, but other than that, Vietnam's still important. India is still importing a bit. Uh, there are only five countries importing over 1% given that China imports so much. But we're starting to see that that Chinese percentage import slow down a little bit. Hopefully it's got a bit more slowing down to, to go and other markets can get a bit more involved. It's interesting you mentioned Vietnam. That's a, a, a country that uh, AWI has been trying to switch from a very sort of cotton-centric uh, processor to a more of a wool processor. And it uh, looks like it might be yielding to a certain degree. Yeah, I suppose Vietnam's, we're seeing some some real positivity in the numbers there, like China, given that they're a country very close in proximity to China. Their timeline for, for the pandemic was very, was very similar. Um, and they were able to open up capacity and get back to 90% about July as well. So, I mean, I suppose it's been a an effort, a sustained effort now by AWI over the last eight, 10 years to really get some um, education and extension in that in that part of of Southeast Asia. And well, the Walmart company, I believe, is up to about 85 supply chain partners uh, now in Vietnam. And, and I suppose not only interest coming out of Vietnam, but there seems to be a real interest from other countries looking into Vietnam to, I suppose, move some of their they're manufacturing their order source out of there. And in terms of uh, wool sold ultimately at retail, um, I hear that uh, the Scandinavian or the Nordic countries are starting to uh, uh, ramp up a little bit more as well. Obviously, uh, a cold climate there, not a huge population, but a cold but affluent climate. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the Nordics um, are an example of an emerging consumption market, which may be, may be re-emerging. To, to so to speak, because the the recovery out of the pandemic is much has been much quicker than than other European counterparts. Um, this region, as you said, this region possesses, I suppose, the three key factors in consuming wool that we see being affluence, climate, and population. Um, and just to I suppose put some numbers behind their recovery, uh, their recovery began quite early, as early as September last year in the in these countries, and when I say these countries, I'm referring to Finland, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, and Sweden. And their wool apparel imports uh, were higher in the last four months of 2020 than it was before COVID in those same four months of 2019. So that's really positive given, you know, most places you look overseas, there's falls of anywhere between 20 and 50% in wool apparel imports for, for some of those months. So their recovery's been much quicker and we sort of can see the flow of wool into these markets is still happening and, and if if anything has increased a bit in the back end of 2020. And, and I suppose hopefully we can look to really, you know, capitalise on the opportunities that the Nordics is, is presenting at the minute for our, for our fibre. So, Miles, just in terms of the market in, in the shorter and the longer term, I mean, we've obviously seen a bit of a V-shaped recovery. It's, it's now sort of stabilising at around 1,300 cents. And whilst we don't do uh, market forecasts, uh, how do you feel the sentiment, how's your sentiment around the wool market into the, into the shorter and longer term? Yeah, yeah, obviously this is a, a great question. Um, 
the way I see the market at the minute is that it's it's really positive sign to see some stability within sort of I suppose the first three months of this year. There's a, there's a, there's just sort of some nice steady increases in January, and I think that's when, well, from my limited knowledge, but I think that that's when the market is holding up quite well when there's sort of slow steady increases when we start to see sort of increases of 60 cents or decreases of 80 cents well that's when I suppose there's some real I suppose trouble and and worry around the market so it's nice to see that sort of slow steady growth and now stabilizing at a at a level of about 1300 cents which I given the circumstances of where we were in September last year at 858 cents I mean, well, that's up 50%. It's it's now up 50% from then. So I think it's where it is at the minute, it's quite nice. Um, where I see it being in the short term, well, hopefully it sort of just slowly uh, jots along where it is and, and maybe going into the future, it, I, we see those slow, steady increases. However, I suppose what we've learned is to not speculate too much because things just change way too quickly. And, and I suppose the pandemic's taught us that. However, I see... The importance of, of where we're at is is looking at, at things like vaccination rollout programs and the success of them. There are markets and global uh, economies rolling out these vaccination programs quite quickly. Um, and I just hope that that's a, that's a means to, to sort of start opening up commerce and, and really get some some stuff on that side of the supply chain going because I think that'll, well, that is one of the key drivers and it will help determine where we are you know, I suppose 12 months, 24 months, three years time. Um, however, I hope for the wool growers' sake that all of these vaccination programs do work and, and things open up and I hope that the the worst of it's behind us. There is a hint of optimism in the in the global economy at the minute looking forward. Um, obviously, there has been a massive hit and there's no shying away from that. But but like you say, hopefully hopefully we're on the, we're on the up from here. Well, Miles, let's hope uh, indeed that there is uh, some stability and consolidation in uh, the days, the weeks and the months ahead. It has been an incredible 12 months. Uh, thank you for your work at AWI and thanks for joining us on The Arm. No worries. Thanks, Murray. It's been great chatting. So that's Miles Barrett, Risk and Recovery Business Analyst at AWI. And interesting to note, that only five countries take more than 1% of Australia's raw wool. China, the Czech Republic, India, Italy and Korea. So to read more of Miles' great work, subscribe to the monthly market intelligence at wool.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. But from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn with us.